0: All right, so the title of the message today is Where Is the Love? And uh, if you watch the news at all, that's a question that you might ask on a regular basis. I mean, I'm watching the way people are being treated and treating each other um and it seems to me like our country is simply tearing itself apart uh, with identity politics and grouping people into these different camps and tribes and you know our tribe is right and your tribe is wrong and uh, we're showing a tremendous amount of disrespect and contempt toward one another i would say uh in my personal experience and observation that really going all the way back to the election leading up to 2016 and forward, uh, the politics and then the pandemic and the protests and all of this have served to tear our country apart. And what has been the casualty of all of this are our relationships. Now, interestingly enough, uh, Jesus was very big on love, wasn't he? Jesus said you know, that the, the, the hinge of the Law and the Prophets was love for God and love for your neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, Jesus was the one that even said that we should love our enemy. And these days it seems that we're being taught that we need to have more enemies, not fewer enemies. But what I would say is if we follow Jesus' teaching, we're gonna find that even those who would pose as an enemy, even those who would oppose us, Uh, we can choose to love. And we're going to talk more about uh, the type of love that Jesus is speaking of there. Um, But in answer to this question, where is the love? Uh, Jesus predicted what is going on right now. Uh, And if you're following along in your outline, in your bulletin, uh, this is number one in the bulletin. Jesus said that as lawlessness increases, love will decrease. Listen to this from... Uh, This is the Jesus' message about end times from Matthew 24. This is Matthew 24, 12. He says, and because lawlessness is increased, most people's love will grow cold. Not everybody, but most people's love will grow cold. So where is the love? What we're seeing is this open-ended idea that I can do and be and say whatever I want to say whether that offends people or alienates people or not, my tribe is right, your tribe is wrong. And as the result, we are pursuing a disordered lifestyle. There's no central idea as to what right and wrong is. And due to that, people's love grows cold. Well, this is because love is essential. This is number two. Love is essential to the order of life as God created it. Love is not something that is an option. Love is sort of optional. Love is sort of an emotion that you may or may not feel towards certain people. Love is absolutely essential. It is central to the order of life as God created it. The more loveless people are, the more disordered they become. So there is this sick cycle that is working I become more loveless as I become more lawless, and also as my love declines, I become increasingly disordered and hence more lawless. Well, that is because, number three, selfishness is the opposite of love, and this is what we're taught in a consumer society that we need to pursue, our own self interest I am the captain of my ship. I need to pursue my vision, my passion, my desires. And selfishness is simply the opposite of love. Selfishness is the reason for our current loveless moral disorder. So I'm going to tell you right now that selfishness is interfering with your capacity to love and selfishness is causing the disorder that we see, because the way God constructed life, the way he wants us to live, is ordered in accordance with his law. But Jesus very clearly said that love fulfills the law. He said that uh, love does no harm to its neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. And so we'll see that uh, in just a, a minute in your outline, but um, what we find is that love is really the basis for the law. Selfless love, verse, uh, verse 4, number 4 in your outline, selfless love is the basis for God's law. Love for God first, and then love for your neighbor. Well, how did Jesus phrase it? This is again in Matthew. This is uh, chapter 22, verses 37 through 40. Uh, Jesus said, and he said to them, that is, Jesus said to a lawyer that was asking him a question about the greatest commandment. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment, period. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now listen to this, and this validates what I just said about Love being the basis for the law. Jesus said, verse 40, upon these two commandments hang the whole law and prophets. So if you want to know why God established a way for you to live, it's because he loves you. All of those thou shalt nots, they're not intended to just get you to do what God says because God says it. God designed you. God designed the universe. And if you're going to live in harmony with the universe that he designed, if you're gonna live in harmony with your own body and your own mind and your own soul, then you need to learn love. You need to learn to love and you need to learn how this factors into every single area of your life, right? So what is love? Well, if you open the dictionary and you look, of course, you're gonna find that, you know, love is this, this sense of affection that you have for someone else. It's always about a feeling. It's always about an emotion but biblically speaking and since the scripture says clearly that god is love god is the basis for love love is the basis for the law god is the basis for love god is love if you don't love your your neighbor if you don't love another person you can't love god because god is love that's first john chapter 4 7 and 8 right Um, love defined and you could say, God is love, okay. But that doesn't give me an idea of what love is aside from who God is, right? Love is looking out for the best interest of the other person. It's just that simple. It's not an emotion. It's not affection. Affection is a type of love. Affection is a way of expressing love. But affection is not love, right? Love is looking out for the best interest of the other person. So let's go back to what Jesus said about loving your enemy. I'm going to tell you something. You don't have to like your enemy to love your enemy. You don't have to trust your enemy. In fact, if they are doing things that are harmful to you and your family, I would implore you not to trust your enemy. But you can love them. How do I do that? I try to do the very best that I can to look out for their best interest. Well, how do I figure out what their best interest is? Well, this is why you and I need to be acquainted with the truth, right? Love and truth are integrally related. We find in the love chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, that uh, that love celebrates with the truth. We need to know the truth if we're going to be able to truly act in someone else's best interest. And the way, again, I'm going to know the truth is to be familiar with God's Word, and to have his spirit living in me, the spirit of truth, and that's going to enable me to genuinely look out for other people's best interest. Now, this doesn't mean that I am going to be able to meet everybody's needs all the time. You will wear yourself out doing that. We have people that are really somewhat narcissistic, maybe even pushing toward uh, psychopathology or sociopathology. They don't care about anybody but themselves. They will use and abuse other people to get what they want, and they don't care what happens to other people. And that shows that somebody has a broken spirit. They are utterly broken on the inside, and they are in desperate need of salvation. Narcissism is, is just, you know, a step over toward psychopathology and sociopathology, which you know, I don't care at all what other people think. A narcissist cares primarily what she or he thinks. And the only way they care about what other people think is if it is going to adversely impact them, right? Particularly, they care about shame. That is, if a group of people is going to all call them down on, say, Twitter or something like that, then they may be concerned about that, and they may make adjustments. They may make apologies. They may not even be heartfelt about that apology, but they are showing some degree of concern about what other people think, even if... It is a self-centered concern, that's narcissism, that's the sociopathology and psychopathology. And by the way, the difference between a sociopath and a psychopath is a psychopath is born that way and a sociopath develops that tendency, right? The sociopath probably starts off as a narcissist and then moves further and further away from having any concern whatsoever about anybody. These are people that are very dangerous. These are people that you need to be very careful around. These are people that even when you show grace to, when you give them compassion, they don't understand that as being something that is a a value or a virtue. They just think you're weak. Well, see, that doesn't mean that I should change and become like them and not care what they think or what they feel. I'm going to need to figure out by praying, by understanding the truth, what the very, very best way to treat them is. But I will tell you this, the very best thing that you could do is not trust them. You can love somebody that you don't trust. You can love somebody that you don't like. You, seem, you simply need to pray for God to work in their life and for God to give you direction about, you know, however it is that you can help them. Now, on the opposite extreme from the narcissists and the, the, the psychopath and the sociopath is the person that is really almost codependent They need other people to need them. They have this compassion for everybody all the time. They see this news story about, you know, this person or that pet or, or this situation, and their heart is going out to everybody, and you just wear yourself out with that because you can't do everything for everybody. You want to, you want to help all these people. You desire to, you have this incredible heart of compassion, but you've got to learn to have wisdom and how to exercise that. You've got to realize that you can't help everybody. You can't, because what ends up happening is we all are drawn into the causes that are the best promoted, right? You know, uh, this particular cause is is very well promoted in the media, so we just give like everybody else gives, and so that cause is overfunded while all of these other people and all of these other causes are underfunded because there's nobody really paying attention to them. See, once again, this is why I need to be familiar with the truth. Whatever my, my tendency, my temperament is, whether it's toward narcissism or whether it's toward this kind of idea of, of excessive compassion, of, of codependency even, I need you to need me, I want you to want me sort of thing. Uh, I need to rely on the spirit of God to give me direction and help me navigate through this. But I I got news for you. Having a heart for everyone and everything isn't necessarily love. There may be a lot of, of compassion and feeling there, but in the end, love is a very, very logical approach to things. It is saying, what can I best do to help this person? And it may well be that this person doesn't need help from you so you can pray for them and you can pray that whoever the Lord has put into their life or whoever the Lord will put into their life that he will do. So um, I'm a pretty healthy person and we have a lot of people in our church that have been sick since the beginning of the year. I mean, it's ridiculous. There have been more people sick this year than either of the previous two years, probably combined. It's crazy. And so what I try to do with the people that I think, you know, are most apt to listen is provide them with some things that they can do, right? Um, you know, you're, you're, you're sick and, and so uh, vitamin C and echinacea and zinc, these are natural uh, vitamins and minerals and, and an herbal that help your immune system be strong enough to fight stuff off. But I'm not a doctor. So I'm not going to stand in the place of a doctor and say, you need to do this, I'm the pastor. I'm, I'm the pastor, not a doctor. Mm-hmm. And so we need to each understand our limitations, right? Now, what I can do is I can pray for you. And that's not just, well, I can't do anything else, might as well pray. No, that's frontline. Because as I said last week, we need to have confidence that God is working all things out for our good and His glory, Amen. And see, what I can do is I can pray and I can have confidence that God is going to act in your life. Amen? That's why we need to pray for each other. That's why we need intercessory prayer. Because when you feel sick, you don't feel real confident, do you? If you do, then you are amazing. Because I don't. I just whine and moan and groan and shake my bony fist at God and say, make me better now. I hate this because I hate feeling bad, right? That's why, you know, I'll ask people to pray for me because then I know somebody else that's not feeling so negative and complaining so much that has a little bit more faith at that moment than I do is going to be praying for me, right? So that's something that we can do, but we, we do need to know what our limitations are. I think that that's very, very important, right? So let's go back then, love love God first with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, right? Or if you look at Mark's version of this, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, means the same thing. you love God with all you are. If love is acting in the best interest of the beloved, how do I act in God's best interest? Oh, pastor, you might have the definition wrong. Well, I want you to think with me. Since this is the case, how can I love God? Jesus said, You can finish it. If you love me, keep my commandments. Jesus said, If you love me, right? Okay. So, how does keeping Christ's commandments constitute love? First of all, it honors God by recognizing Christ's authority and following the moral order he has established. You're honoring God when you keep his commandments, therefore, you're doing what is best for God. Amen? Interestingly, God turns it right back around on you and shows you that you're actually acting in your own best interest when you're honoring God and obeying his commandments. So it can sound suspiciously like Jesus is just being really, really selfish. You love me, do what I say. But that's not the way it is at all. He's saying what he's saying because he has your best interest in mind. Couples, two brand new couples. This is how it works. You're saying, you're not married. No, but, you know, I officiate a lot of weddings. (laughs) This is how it works. You need to look out for the other person's best interest. This is why the scripture says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's for all Christians. You submit to the other person's needs and the other person's desires. If you're both doing this, then you're going to be meeting each other's needs all the time. And then it says, wives... Submit to your husbands. It's affirming. In fact, the verb for submit is not even there. It's in the previous verse. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives to your husbands. It's affirming. Yes, ladies, this means you. That's what it says. And then it says husbands love your wives. There's love again. But it's not a feeling. It's the word agape, agapao, the the verb, and it means sacrificially act in her best interest, whether you like it or not, whether you feel like it's helping you or not, whether you feel like it's furthering your interests or not. It's not about you. Hey, that would help us all to understand love. Say "It's it's not about me. It's not. So if I'm gonna love God, I listen to what Jesus said. He said, if you love me, keep my commandments, right? So that honors God by recognizing Christ's authority and following the moral order he established. Number two, Jesus' primary command is to love other people the way Jesus loves us. So we're living the way Jesus lives, and we're loving the way Jesus loves, and that honors God as well. So then what I find is I am the hands and feet of Jesus on earth when I'm doing that. I'm fulfilling his mission. I'm fulfilling his ministry, and that acts in his best interest, which, as I said, also acts in our own best interest. And then finally, how keeping Christ's commandments constitutes love is I will benefit from this because God will take care of me and my interests when I trust and obey him. I'm being selfless, not because I'm a martyr and I want to suffer. I'm being selfless because I'm trusting God with my stuff. I'm trusting God to take care. If you listen to some of the things Jesus said, you just go, ah, uh, right, impossible. If somebody slaps you on the cheek, turn to them the other also. No, if somebody slaps me on the cheek, I want to knock them out. This is what I want to do. If somebody steals your jacket, you know, or steals your coat, then give them your jacket also. No, if they steal my coat, I want to knock them down and take it back and say, don't do that anymore, right? If somebody demands you go one mile with them, then you go two. Well, back in Jesus' day, any Roman soldier, could demand any citizen or anyone at all in Rome to carry his pack for a mile. And promptly what would happen? As soon as that mile marker was hit, the person would drop the pack and walk on. Jesus said, no, this is what I want you to do. That Roman soldier demands you to carry his pack a mile. You continue on for the second mile. These things don't make any sense unless you realize that God's got you. Say, God's got me. So I can take what I have and offer it to other people because I know God is going to supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Amen? Normal logic, tithing doesn't make sense, right? I remember uh, some years ago, there was a guy that was an ex-Christian who had a website, uh, and he had become an atheist, And the symbol for his website was a dead fish, right? So, you know, the the fish is the symbol for Christian faith. His symbol for his website was a dead fish. And his motto was, skip church, save 10%. Well, honestly, you know, that's kind of sardonic. and, And, you know, it's something that is obviously coming from the heart of a disbeliever, an unbeliever. But the reality is, if you don't believe God exists, you're wasting your money giving it to the church. You really are you're giving 10 percent of your money to the church now if your church is like our church and they give to other causes as well then sure you're giving to those other causes but in the end if i'm an atheist i'm not giving my money to the church i'm just going to go find people that are in need but even then why would i do that maybe i have a sense of you know compassion or not But maybe not because there's no God and so there's nobody telling me how to live my life and there's no real standard for morality except what I make up as I go along. So if it benefits me and I feel good about it, then I'm going to do it. But if not, then I won't. But see, since there is a God, not if, since, amen? And since God has promised to take care of us, according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And by the way, that's Philippians 4.19. And that's coming from the apostle Paul to the Philippians who had done what? Given money to support him. He said, now my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. How rich is God? Oh, he owns everything. So God's going to take care of you, right? He's going to pour into your lap so much that it overflows. You can't contain it all. This is what God wants to bless you with. God wants to make you a blessing. Now, if you're a hoarder, if you just take it all and can it all and sit on the can, then God's not going to bless you. That doesn't mean you're not going to be able to go out and work hard and earn a lot, but God's not going to bless you. There are plenty of rich people that are very unhappy. Have you noticed this? Uh, Poor people can be very unhappy. Rich people can be very unhappy. It's obvious that it's not money that makes you happy. But money is a great tool that you can use to help people, right? To bless people, to take care of needs and so forth. And the scripture says that God is able to make all grace abound to you, that having in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Amen? Amen? God wants you to abound. That means overflow. He wants you to have a, a, not just a little, not just enough. He wants you to have way more than enough so that you can be a blessing to everybody. But that only makes sense if you're trusting that God exists and he is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him, right? That's Hebrews 11:6. So that's how keeping Christ's commandments constitutes love. It honors God by recognizing Christ's authority and following the moral order he established. Jesus primarily command us to love other people the way that Jesus loves me. So therefore, I look out for God's best interest by caring for those who are made in his image. And then I'll benefit from this because God will take care of me and my interests when I trust and obey him. Number six in your outline, selfishness. What is selfishness? Selfishness is me looking out for my interests regardless of the other person. It's me taking care of my stuff and what I want and what I need regardless of what it does for you it's competition it's survival of the fittest it's the law of the jungle it's what you see going on in a christless world it's like mow other people down take from other people do what i need to do to get mine and i don't care what happens to you i don't care what happens to your family and in your life i just need to take care of mine well that's very very animalistic it's not very humanistic it's not very christian certainly To follow Jesus is to be unselfish. Amen? Those of us that have been going to churches that have taught us that we need to be greedy and get more and more. By the way, the verse that I quoted just a minute ago isn't an excuse for greed. God is able to make all grace abound to you, that having all things at all times, you will abound in every good work. Right? Having all things at all times, you will be able to meet every need. Right? That's the point. It's not so that I can get more and more and more and hoard it. What did Jesus say? Well, actually, what is said about Jesus? This is by the Apostle Paul in Philippians 2, 4 through 8. This is called the kenosis passage, the emptying passage. Jesus emptied himself, and that's what the word kenosis means from the Greek. The Apostle Paul said, do not merely look out for your own interests. Listen to that again. Do not merely look out for but also for the interests of others. He doesn't say, do not look out for your own interests at all. That's not what he says. He said, do not merely, do not just look out for your interests, but also for the interests of others. And then this very powerful example. Why do we do that? Because of Jesus and who Jesus is. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus who as he already existed in the form of God did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped but emptied himself there's the word by taking the form of a bond and by being born in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself to the point of death even death on a cross i always like to say jesus took the elevator all the way down to the bottom floor he became a human He didn't become a human in an exalted fashion. Jesus was born where? What was Jesus born in? That's pretty humble, isn't it? He was born in a feeding trough. And he lived his life and loved other people and healed other people and taught other people and was persecuted and eventually was stripped and beaten and crucified, the most horrific death imaginable. He took the elevator all the way down to the bottom floor. He's showing us that this is the way we are to live. We are to be willing to humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God, and God will raise us up at the proper time. Jesus didn't stay dead, amen? Amen. That's why I'm standing here preaching today. That's why we can be saved. Jesus didn't just die on the cross. Jesus rose from the grave on the third day. And so as a result, At the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is the same inheritance that you have. If you humble yourself, God will raise you up. You're not humiliating yourself. You're humbling yourself and you're allowing God to promote you. There is so much branding and self-promotion going on out there. It's nauseating. Hey, it's hard to be on Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, whatever you're I mean, everybody is out there self-promoting, self-promoting, self-promoting. And I'm telling you, younger people are really good at this, all right? Millennials and Gen Z, you're phenomenal at this, right? The turn of the phrase, the you know, the smile, the you know, whatever, promotion, 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 promotion. We're all self-promoting. As we think if we can just get so many more of these, so many more likes. You know, we'll get, we'll get so much more income. We'll get so much more good feeling out of it. But to follow Jesus is not about self-promotion. It's about promoting Jesus and the gospel. Amen? It's about me letting Jesus promote me. That requires a good bit of faith. Okay? So, number seven, unselfishness doesn't equate to mistreating myself. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying humiliate yourself, mistreat yourself, harm yourself. Not what I'm saying. Unselfishness unselfishness does not equate to mistreating myself, but to sharing my blessings with others. Amen? That's what I'm doing. You show that you have faith when you share, believe it or not. Because I think, you know what? I'll have enough. The Lord will take care of me so I can share. When you can't share or you share very little, you show that you really don't trust that God has got you because you're trying to take care of yourself rather than allow God to take care of you. And number eight, in the end, if you really love God, then you will love other people. I see so many posts where people are saying, yeah, I hate people. You know, I love my, my cat, my dog and one person type of thing, right? I want to stay indoors. I, you know, I'm glad for the shutdown because I hate all these other people. I hate going to work. I hate going to school. I hate being around people. We've just come to a place, right? Where's the love? Well, we just don't like each other. I, I can remember at the beginning of the pandemic. Do you remember the beginning of the pandemic when everybody was scared of everybody else? Like, I'd, you know, everybody would be wearing their face masks. People would not, I don't know if you were noticing this. I, I mentioned this at the time, but people would not make eye contact with you. I was doing an experiment, right? Because I think it's always interesting to make eye contact with people and see what they do. Have you ever, have you ever noticed that? I mean, if you want people to really think you're weird, like you know, you're trying to sell them something, or you're a psycho, or you want something from them, just look at them and smile. <laughs> and so what happens is one of several things. You look at them and you smile, and they look back at you and they smile. Or you look at them and they smile, and they look down, like this. Right. And that's what that most often that's what I was seeing during the pandemic is that everybody was wearing a face mask. I was experimenting with this, particularly when I was at um, Lifetime Fitness working out. I'd walk, you know, through there because you had to wear your mask until you got to your machine. Then you could take it off and work out and then pair your mask as dumb. But in any event, I would, I would walk in there and I would just kind of try to look people in the eye and they would just be like, no, no, COVID germs will come out of your eye and come into my eye and come into my body and kill me. Right. So, you know, we've just kind of been taught to self-isolate and stay away from each other. But Jesus said we need to love one another. Amen. What do you think it means to love your neighbor as yourself? All right. So your neighbor, you would think, you would imagine, is the person that lives next door or across the street. Right. No. Interestingly. The word neighbor in English gives us a hint. It's the person that is nearby. In an internet age, there are lots of people that can be brought nearby. Amen? That doesn't mean that I'm in physical proximity, but man, you can give to people, you can talk to people, you can help people that are on the other side of the world. Jesus, when he was asked by uh, a Pharisee, a lawyer, Uh, who his neighbor was, right? Because Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. And this fellow, you know, was trying to justify himself, said, oh yeah, well, who's my neighbor? And this is in Luke. And Jesus told the story of the Good Samaritan. And he talked about this guy that got waylaid on the road and he was robbed and he was laying there, unconscious, bleeding. And he said, a priest went by this guy, crossed on the other side of the road. A Levite, which is from the priestly family, went by on the other side of the road and walked by. Like, I'm not touching that guy. That's gross, I'm not, I am not. I can't get involved, that's too dangerous. There, who knows, there may be thieves still around. I'm not, I'm no, I don't have enough money, I can't help that person. And then Jesus said, a Samaritan, now the Jews didn't like the Samaritans and the Samaritans didn't like the Jews. We won't go into the reasons, we'll just say there was some racism going on there, there was some political history going on there, there was some religious history going on there, but they didn't like each other at all. So for him, that is Jesus, to tell this Pharisee this lawyer that it was a samaritan that helped this person this would have been like a slap in the face cuz they wouldn't have imagined that a samaritan would go anywhere near a jewish person and we're assuming the person that got waylaid was jewish right so it's, Jesus said the Samaritan went and he picked the guy up and he, he, he sabbed his wounds, right? He bound up his wounds and then he took him to an inn and he left money with the innkeeper and he said, here, take care of this guy until he gets well. And if this isn't enough money, then when I come back through, just let me know and I'll pay you more money. Wow, that is really nice, isn't it? That's genuinely love, right? The guy had the ability to help and he got nearby he didn't live near this person he didn't say oh my gosh that's my neighbor neighbor are you okay that's not what he did he saw a guy that was hurting and he was nearby that person and he helped that person that's what jesus is saying the neighbor is love your neighbor as yourself Um, so did you guys hear about the shutdown on i-95 in virginia here a couple days ago a couple of first of all it was real icy and real snowy a couple of trucks got into an accident and so the traffic got backed up on Interstate 95. And people were, were on the Interstate for six hours or more. I mean, they had to, they were literally living in their cars, praying that there was enough gas to keep running the engines so that they could have their heat. Some people, you know, obviously weren't thinking that they were going to be living in their car for six or eight hours, so they didn't bring water and they didn't bring food. You know, there's some really, really cool stories that came out of that. There was a, a trucker that walked around and gave bread to everybody. Okay, there was an Uber driver. Now I identified with this because I drove for Uber and Lyft uh, several years back, and uh, they reported about this fella. He had a teenager in his car, and uh, this teenager was freaking out, right, calling her parents you know, every, every 30 minutes or hour and, you know, freaking out and scared and not knowing what to do. And the driver was just being very, very calm. And he had snacks and he had water. And, you know, oftentimes as an Uber driver, especially if you know you're gonna go distance, you bring waters that you can give the passenger, you bring little snacks and stuff like that. Um, but th- this is what's cool. I, you know, obviously he was just being a, a good employer to one degree by offering this with the person that's in his car. But after six hours, and the traffic finally got moving again, um, he was taking her a long way, right? This was, she couldn't get on the train because uh, the trains were shut down because of the weather. So that's why she took an Uber. And so he was going to be taking her like an hour and a half away. And he got shut down like 20 minutes later. So she still had over an hour to go. Well, her parents are so concerned about her. They're like, you know what? We're going to come get her. So what he did is he took her to a hotel. He didn't check in with her. He paid for the room so she could check in. And so her parents could come and get her. That's a good Samaritan. Amen? That's loving your neighbor as yourself. Now, I don't know if that dude's a Christian or not, but I'm just telling you, that's Christ-like. And that's what we need to be about the business of doing, right? So if you really love God, you're going to love other people. And if you don't love other people, then you don't really love God. Listen to what it says, First John 4, 7 and 8. I paraphrased this earlier. This is the uh, 2020 update of the New American Standard Bible. Beloved, let us love one another, or let's love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God. Say that again. The one who does not love does not know God. You know the last phrase, for God is love if you know god god is going to love other people through you amen that's what we're to be about the business of doing so the question is do you love other people i mean let's just be honest with ourselves we may have come to a a time when we're so self-protective when we're so angry or we're so scared or or you know whatever that we're having a hard time loving other people do you love other people Choose to love God more than yourself, and soon you will love what God loves, amen? Amen. You don't start with trying to love other people. Oh, I'm gonna try to love other people, right? I'm looking at two young ladies right here who deal with customers, oh, mercy. We can be so unlovable, can't we? Hey, waitress,
1: where's my order?
0: I ordered five seconds ago. It should be out here by now, right? So you know how that can get the way that i love those people is not by going oh i love you i love you i really love you no i choose to love god and let god love them through me so number nine and the last point in your outline is fix the god love issue and the people love problem will be resolved amen choose to love god choose to keep christ's commands choose to put your focus of your life on him And you're going to find that His Spirit is going to fill you to overflow, and you are going to begin loving other people. So for the next several weeks, coming all the way up to Valentine's weekend, um, which I think that's Sunday the 13th, if I remember correctly, um, I'm going to be teaching through this series um, that I'm just calling the Love Series. I've called it 4DL in the past, the four dimensions of love. So I hope you will come back, I hope you bring people, and I hope you'll consider getting involved in this relationship small group. It's very simple to do, it's four weeks long, there's a DVD and there's a manual. The DVD is a Rick Warren teaching, the manual is for you to go through, but this is a way to take this love series and put feet to it, say we wanna have awesome relationships, we wanna have better relationships. And I want our church to, ha- to be healthy and have better relationships. We've been so separated for so long because of all of the, the pandemic issues going on, I want us to come back together. So please be a part of that. Please be a part of this series and let's see God do great things in our life. Amen? Because by the way, do you know what our motto is? Life well church. Live well, love well, life well. Amen? Woo! That's just good, isn't it? You know that's good. All the non-millennials are just looking at me like what? All the Gen Xers that, you know, back in the day I was their youth minister, like, that's really no. But all the millennials are like, that's so good, Pastor Bill. Gen Z's like, yeah. Okay, maybe you're not, but I'm deceiving myself. If you need prayer, um, Pastor Craig and I will be down here and uh, we'd love to pray with you. The first relationship you need to establish is your relationship with God. That's how you're going to receive the love that you can give to other people. So if you haven't established that relationship, the scripture says, call on the name of the Lord and you'll be saved. So just ask him to come into your life. Affirm that you believe in Jesus and that he died on the cross and rose from the grave. And you'll find he'll come into you, okay?